you need to sit down? No. No, because then it goes up there. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's stand together and sing, I Will Call Upon testing, the Lord. Testing. Thanks for that. And then we're going to come back up here. Good morning. Good morning. What a great way to start a day with baptisms, right? Yes. Amen. Well, this is Vorquez Manus family. They've been with us for a while, and they've actually been part of the family, but they've never officially joined. So what they're doing today is they wanted to do that through the symbolic uh, baptism. And they all, we have spoken with this family on numerous occasions. They all know the Lord as their Savior. 
and they all have no doubt about that. My mom and I have talked about it with both Christopher and Isabella, <laughs> and now they're just making everything official, okay? So Isabella, you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you know without a shadow of a doubt that this baptism is a representation of his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, we've talked about all that, right? All right. I baptize you, my sister Isabella Jimenez, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christopher, you know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Yes. And you are ready to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Yes. Yeah, right. I baptize Christopher Romel Manus in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Gina, you've done an excellent job at raising these kids and keeping them close to the Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the commitment in that. And we want you to know that I know and so many all these other folks know that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and we are baptizing you in his name. Amen? Amen. All right. We baptize our sister, Gina Lorraine Barquet, in the name of... Lord Jesus. Jasper's next. <clears throat> Amen. Thank God for those who are following in obedience to Christ in baptism. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Just a quick announcement. Uh, trunk or treat tomorrow, October 31st, 5.30. We will start setting up in the parking lot at 5 p.m. And we encourage you, we still need more candies for the goodies. So uh, please uh, continue to help us. And also craft and yard sale that's coming November 19. If you need more information or sign up forms, we have that at the back. And uh, there will be homeless ministry this coming November 26, although the bulletin says no. So we have a homeless ministry November 26. And also, uh, there will be no quilting ministry.
this Tuesday or no meeting, not, not ministry, no uh, meeting this coming Tuesday, November uh, 1st. And OCC boxes deadline, November 13th. So we remind you that and we encourage you to uh, get involved in this ministry. So shall we pray? Lord, it's our joy to be here this morning to worship you and thank you, Lord, for saving us from the punishment of sin in hell by grace through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that through him we are cleansed, justified, and sanctified for your glory and honor. Thank you, dear God, for our brother and sister in Christ who uh, manifested their faith and obedience to you. And as we look forward in your coming, it gives us encouragement, comfort, and confidence that even though we don't know what lies ahead, but one thing we know, that you will come again and take us to a place with no more tears, sadness, and pain, a place that is perfect, full of praises and joy, with the people who accepted you as your Lord and Savior. Bless us, Lord, in Christ's precious name. Amen. Okay, so is that November 7, right? Okay, this coming November 7, there will be a uh, Baptist Women's World's Day of Prayer. To all women, we encourage you to join that. Uh, uh, this is for everybody. Okay, this is for everybody, not just women. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> but we encourage you to join that. Uh, it is God's desire for us to get involved in those uh, ministries and to have fellowship with other believers. November 7, and that will be at 6 p.m. Yes, Okay, so there will be fried chicken, so, yeah, so that's a great uh, <laughs> motivation for us. Okay, thank you. This is a spiritual thing, but you can lead with fried chicken anytime you want. All right, we'll, we'll wait for Lynn. We'll sing. Let's go. Let's sing. Oh, the scripture is up there. All right, here we go. Right. I'm, I'm trying to get in the habit of reading scriptures about singing and praising the Lord, which is good for all of us to know, even if we're familiar with them. And this is uh, Psalm 145. <clears throat> I will exalt you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Amen. Let's sing. The Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus. 
Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Oath is covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, all blessed to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus said, if you build your foundation on me, no storm can tear it down. All right. Shall we, shall we get Lynn up here while we're remembering it? Get up yep. here, Lynn. <coughs> All right. So uh, if you don't remember, the month of October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So all the <laughs> you thought you were going to get away. Yeah. All right. So we, wait, we waited until the last day, uh, day of the month, the last Sunday of the month, but uh, the scripture says that the worker is worthy of his wages, um, and so, you know, obviously we support you in your ministry to the church, Thank you. but we want to show that we additionally appreciate all <laughs> you've taken on and the work that you do in this church to, uh, to shepherd us. It is a hard task, <laughs> and there's, you know, obviously we always want to say thank you, but we want to take this opportunity to say thank you in a more tangible way. So thank you, thank you very much, Pastor Lynn. <laughs> At dark chocolate cookies. Yep. I don't yep. think I'm sharing any of these with you guys. Uh, yep. And, and this is also for your entire family. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure you could tell about all the ways that your family supports you, and the, you know the extra hours and the and the phone calls and all the weird and stressful things that happen. So um, please share, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's sing together, In Christ Alone. Are you noticing the theme this morning? In Christ Alone, our solid rock. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Fiercest drought and storm, like heights of love. 
I mean, we have the scriptures, and the scriptures are God's word. But as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another with the gifts God's given us. People who can play, sing, write. It is such a blessing. We all serve together, but, uh, yeah, people that can actually make you hear it, you know, and record it and send it out so you can watch it on TV. Uh, It's such a blessing. And. Uh, these these songs. I mean, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Jesus with the disciples in the in the upper room at, at the the Last Supper. Did you, you remember that Jesus led them in a hymn? I mean, he's God, and he led them in a hymn. Just shows how the, the gift that God has given us in music, how important it is, and it's just such a blessing. Thank you, Lord, for for music and song. Let's uh, let's see. We're, oh, wait. Where's our special at? Oh, there it is. Okay. Oh. Yeah. The special is next. We're going to sing, and John is going to sing the verses because he's the only one that can sing fast enough. <laughs> so we're going to do the chorus with him.
When he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Our, Our God, God is an awesome God. God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Our, Our God, God is an awesome God. God. And the Lord, he wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for the reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close, so you better be believing that Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. When the sky was solace in the void of the night, our, our God, God is an awesome God. God. He spoke into the darkness and created the light. Our, our God, God is an awesome God. God. Judgment and wrath he poured out of Sodom. Mercy and grace he gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our, our God, God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Amen. You've packed your Operation Christmas Child shoebox full of love and prayer. Now, how to get it to the other side of the world where it can bless a child and become a life-changing gospel opportunity? That starts when you send a $10 suggested donation through our website or through the mail. This ensures the greatest possible impact in the life of a child with a clear presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Your donation helps to cover shoebox collection, processing, and shipping. And it also provides each child with the greatest gift gospel booklet, printed in their own language. This booklet encourages children and their families to receive God's greatest gift, His Son, Jesus Christ. Your $10 suggested donation also helps train and equip local churches on how to lead an outreach event, share the gospel, and invite boys and girls to participate in follow-up discipleship. Plus, when you give online, using your Follow Your Box label, you can discover the destination of your shoebox gift. And last, but certainly not least, if you have packed all of your boxes using our nifty Build a Shoebox Online website, then your donation is included. The greatest impact, all for $10. To learn more, visit SamaritansPurse.org OCC. Once again, good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. Listen, I got to say a couple of things before we get started. That's dangerous, ain't it? I cannot thank you guys enough, and I know we're not supposed to be prideful, but I'm so proud of the bunch of people that we have right here. Last Sunday, we had a picnic, 
And as close as we can tell, with the number of chairs and tables that Jasper put out and the youth put out and the other ministry teams that were working last Saturday, to put all that together, we had over 150 people here. We had seen people that had not been back in the walls of the church because of COVID, <coughs> but they came to the picnic because they could stay outside, and we really appreciated that. But everybody pulled together. All you ladies and gentlemen cooked food and brought treats and goodies. There was plenty of food. We didn't run out of anything. There was no major squabbles. There was unity without. Nobody got hurt. There was no incidents or accidents. I was just so relieved. But you know what? Yesterday, we did a memorial service for Marvin Maynard. And many of you knew Marvin. And many of you were here. And I asked for a couple guys' help. And bless their hearts, about eight or ten guys came to help and set up tables. The appreciation team took care of the food and got everything ready and put it in a classroom and we set up tables outside along this back side and a hundred chairs out on the parking lot and it was because it was a 21 gun salute we never done one like that before and bless everybody's heart they pulled together once again to make sure that it got done this is the body of Christ this is what's important that family connection and I am so pleased and so honored to serve alongside each and every one of you I want you to understand that so now I guess we'll get into the message. Part of it, <coughs> anyway. You know, most of us want the truth of God's word in our life. Amen? We live in a world where we need that truth. And even though that truth sometimes is hard and hurts us, we need to hear it. We need to understand it. Revelation gives us those answers. It tells us no lies. It tells us those truths. It says right here is the real truth. And... All the tragedies and struggles and heartaches are right there in it. But on the flip side of that, side by side, is all the blessings and victory and hope that Christ offers us. Now, for the world that doesn't know him as Savior and Lord, they have the tragedies, heartache, and heartbreak. We have the victory and the hope and the blessings because Scripture tells us that. <coughs> God's word always tells us the truth. He is the one and only one that we can count on to tell us the truth all the time in any given situation. But I want us to think about what's happening today. Before I launch off into this, I want us to really consider some things. And as we cover these passages today, we're only looking at 11 verses. But I want you to think, where is our world at today? Really what's going on in the world and how does this fit together with what we're going to read today? We're hearing wars and rumors of wars. They're actually taking place. We're hearing that waterways are drying up around the world, not just here in the United States, but around the world. We're hearing about climate change and the temperatures going up. We're hearing about food shortages and famines. We're hearing about all kinds of things that we're going to look at today that fit so appropriately. Now, I'm not a prophet. I don't claim to be. But I will tell you this. There's a lot of stuff that's falling into place. So as we look at this, I want us to understand those things. Listen, 
we need to ask for God's grace and strength and mercy to continue on in this world we're living in while we're still here. So I want you to do that today. The book of Revelation is written for us to understand all these things. And he says if we, if we pay attention and we listen and apply what he's given us in this book, that we will be blessed. So as a believer, if you're here this morning and you're a believer, I want you to be blessed by this. But if you're not a believer, I want you to take note and really think about what is before us this morning. Because the signs of the end times are here. Okay? So, you know, it's interesting because the book of Revelation tells us God has a plan. And God's plan is right on his timetable. It may not be on our timetable, but it's on his timetable. And here's the thing. That plan includes some pain. It includes some pain and suffering and grieving for the world. It also includes some tragedy because of Satan being in the world. So we're going to see some of those things today. But that plan is never out of God's hands. It's never out of God's control. And we need to understand that. Revelation 6 is an incredibly important time in the history of mankind, in the world, of the world. Why? Because it's the time of tribulation. It's the time of tribulation. We're just getting started in this book, and as it unfolds, it's going to be heartbreaking. It's going to be sometimes scary. It's going to be uplifting, and it's going to be empowering for us as Christians. But it's going to be detrimental to those that are not Christians, and they're not going to want to hear it. And they're not going to want to believe it. So let's think about these things a little bit. These aren't e easy passages to look at. There's passages that we need to remember, though. Back in Revelation 1-3, where God said, you would be blessed if you read this book and understand the words that are written in it. I told you that just a minute ago. Last week, we were introduced to these seven seals, the seven horns, seven eyes, seven bowls, all those sevens. We have multiple sevens that are coming up. Do you remember when we first started this series several weeks back? I told you it was a lot like those little nesting dolls. And you take one, the big nesting doll off, and there'd be another smaller nesting doll inside. And then you take that one apart, and there'd be another one inside of that one, and so on and so forth. This is how Revelation is. Except each time you take one of those nesting dolls apart, or each one of those eggs apart, it doesn't get smaller, it gets bigger. It enlarges. It becomes more intense and more immense in the way that it presents itself. So there's a lot of these things that are going to come out, especially over the next six to eight weeks. But there's two big questions that I think we need to ask ourselves before we jump into this study, before I launch off into this. One is do these seven bowls and trumpets happen all at the same time, or do they happen one right after the other. You have the seven seals, you have the seven bowls, you have the seven trumpets. And a lot of people wonder, is this just three different ways of looking at the same thing, or do they happen one right after the other? I believe that they happen one right after the other. If we look at it very, very carefully, and we read it very, very closely, I believe it's going to prove to us that they happen one right after the other as we go through this. But there's sevens upon sevens. Now, does, that does not mean that these three groups of seven are three equal parts of the tribulation. 
we're going to see as we delve into this deeper that we're going to see an outline of the basic two halves of Revelation and how those pan out over time. The second question I think we need to ask is, is looking at this time of terror and tribulation that's going to come upon the world, what's going to happen to the church? When does the rapture of God's people, the church, the body of Christ, actually take place? Well, that's an interesting question. Are you, are you any, any of you really interested in answering that question? Oh, oh maybe. All right, so simplistically, very simple. There's three particular views. There's a pre-tribulation view, meaning, of course, that everybody that's a Christian is going to be taken out before all this stuff happens. Pre-trib, all right? There is a mid-trib. Well, Christians are going to be on earth, and they're going to suffer to the middle of it, and then they're going to be taken out. Then there's a last view that is post-trib, that we're going to go through all the suffering and all the stuff just like the rest of the world does. That's post-trib. We get to leave after all this stuff happens. All right, now here's the problem. I believe in pre-trib. You talk to most preachers, and they will tell you they believe in, mid, in pre-trib. Okay? I believe in, I believe in pre-trib, not mid-trib, not post-trib. Now, if you talk to most pastors, though, they tell you if they're here at mid-trib, they're going to change their stance to mid-tribulation. <laughs> but if they're here at the end of it, they're going to change it to post-tribulation and pray like crazy. <laughs> right? I joke about that, but I want you to understand something. There is a specific reason that I believe in pre-trib. All right? This pre-tribulation viewpoint is supported by Scripture in several places, and there's strong indications in others. So I want you to grasp this as we put it out before you and take this to heart today. The very first thing is, in A, is the unexpected nature of the rapture. Now, rapture, the word itself is not in Scripture. Most of you know that. Maybe some of you don't. But rapture itself is not in there. It's tied together with the words caught up. And as we look at this, when we get to that part of Scripture and it says caught up, that's the rapture. All right? I'm not going to go into great detail about all that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Who's going first? The dead in Christ. After that, we are, who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We should be encouraging each other as believers each and every day. Because I've told you this before, and I believe with all my heart, this should be a sanctuary, a place where we can come in and get encouraged and built up and prepared to go out and face the world that is trying to tear us down. It's hurtful, harmful, and hateful out there, especially to Christians. If you try to do a good deed today, some people look at you and go, what are you doing that for? What's your motivation? And it saddens me because you, 
I'm just trying to be a kind, generous, considerate person. And you get taken to task for it sometimes. Listen, I believe that the unexpected nature of the rapture is one of the key points of why pre-trib is important. Think about this for a second. When we read 1 Thessalonians there, it says it's going to be a surprise. It says it's unexpected. If the rapture is unexpected, how in the world could it be in the middle or at the end? Because when all hell breaks loose and the rapture starts, those that are here are going to know it. If they have the scripture and they look at the book and they say, whoa, this, look at all the stuff that's happening. Look at what's going on. They're going to be able to ascertain and determine when the middle is and when the end is. You with me? Give me a head nod or something. So the sense that it being eminent goes away if it already starts and people can recognize when the middle and the end is. So it's not a surprise to anybody at that point. Keep that in mind. There's another important reason. B. The fact that we will be protected from God's wrath. We will be protected from God's wrath as believers. Scripture tells us that very, very plainly. Look at Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We are saved from God's wrath. He tells us there, there's one. There's a bunch, but I just gave you three. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. They tell how you turn to God from idols, to serving the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom... He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There's number two. And in the third one, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three examples, and there's more. But you know what? All those address the same situation. They say that we will not, as believers, suffer God's wrath. Scripture tells us as we get into this that he's going to pour out his wrath on the whole world. We do not want to be here. Now, I know some people that have this pre-trib mindset because they just don't want to suffer. I think that's a little chicken way out, but if that's a motivation, it's still a motivation, right? C. Now listen, this is an indication. There's no specific verse about this matter in my mind. There, I can't find one. In Revelation, the only Christians that appear to be on earth, the only Christians that appear to be on earth are those that were saved during that time. Not those saved prior to that time. Let's think about this for a second. As we read through it all, and if that's true, that the only believers on earth are the ones that were saved during that time, then where did all the other believers go? 
up. We're out of here. We're not here. I believe they've been taken out of the world. And D, many, many people believe that one of the main reasons we're not here for tribulation is the church, the body of Christ, has been taken out so all hell can break loose on the earth. As Christians today, we have a restraining power, and we may not even realize it sometimes, but we restrain much of the problems that are going on in the world because the Christians are still here. We have moral influence that oftentimes I don't think we exercise the way we could or should. But because we're Christians and we're still out there and many of you are still witnessing and testifying God's word to other people, there is a restraint that's taking place. But when God comes along and he says, you know, son, it's time for you to go get my people and get them out of there. I think that's when the tribulation is going to take place. But there's a couple of reasons I don't like arguing or discussing a lot of these things with some people. And here's a problem. There's different viewpoints, and I understand that. I would be naive not to. But there is an arrogance with some teachers who hold this pre-tribulation viewpoint. And what I mean by that is they think anybody that has a mid-trib viewpoint or a post-trib viewpoint has to be the Antichrist or a type of Antichrist. I can't find that anywhere in there. That bothers me a little bit because we're supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have a different viewpoint on something, I think we ought to be able to discuss it without being arrogant about it and without being mean and haughty and nasty about it. You know, to have an attitude of arrogance, and I think I put that in your notes, when you have a disagreement with a fellow believer, that is not what Jesus taught us to do. How is the world going to know us? By our arrogance? Uh-uh. By our love for one another. And we are to demonstrate that openly and honestly with one another and with the rest of the world. I think sometimes we miss the mark because we want our own way. And I think that's a problem. There are some, when they teach about this pre-trib, um, mid-trib, post-trib, that get very defensive about it. Don't be. Just realize that they've read the same book you have, they may have looked at the same commentary you have, and they've just drawn a different conclusion. Listen, we're not to fight and fuss about things, <laughs> anything. We have to stand united as the body of Christ. And I know you guys are probably getting sick of me saying that, but I'm going to continue saying it. Number two, the fearfulness of believers. This one is a lot more touchy. There's a lot of people that still come and talk to me about this, about the tribulation, and they want to know, am I going to have to go through this? Am I going to have to go through the tribulation? There's still a lot of fear tied to this. And I want to assure you that those four reasons, I believe that we are all pre-trib as believers, they're based on Scripture. 
they're based on everything I can ascertain that will help us understand we're not going to be here for all that. So I want us to, to make sure we completely have a grasp of that. But I will tell you this, and, I, and I, I have to sort of split hairs here for a moment. There's believers around the world that are suffering in a lot of ways that we often don't think about or realize. And to say that you and I are never going to suffer as that first century church did, where, where they were burned to stake, beheaded, or persecuted in some way, would be naive on our point. Because here's the problem. As the end times grow closer, there's going to be more persecution against godly people. All right? So to say we're not going to be persecuted, I can't say that. I can't tell you that you're not going to suffer. But I can tell you this. I believe in my heart, in my mind, and my soul that if you are a true believer, that you will not suffer the wrath of God. There is a difference between suffering temporarily and suffering for eternity. So I want you to keep that in mind. Really think about that. But to try to pretend that we're going to live in this protected bubble, that we're not going to suffer any persecution because we're a Christian, is naive. And it's absolutely foolish. Listen. The wrath of God is not going to be poured out on believers, but it is going to be poured out on the rest of the world. It's coming. When, I don't know, but it's coming. As the Lamb opens up these seven seals, I want you to listen very carefully to the rest of this message, and I want you to take these things to heart and place them in your mind and your heart and apply them to your lives as you live your lives for the rest of your life. The seven seals start with these four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've heard that said. The white horse represents, question mark, question mark, question mark. There is this of all four of the horsemen and riders. This is the most controversial. You have a faction that believe that is Jesus, and you have another faction that is the Antichrist. So as we look at this, I'm going to tell you what I believe and what I found, and you can draw your own conclusion. Revelation 6, 1 and 2. And who is the Lamb? First, I want to ask you this. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. And who's in charge of all this? Jesus, right? Okay. Stick with me. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. This first rider is a very controversial rider. The white horse and the whiteness of it all a lot of people say, well, it represents Christ. All right. If that's true, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, I want you to draw your own conclusion about this, then there's something to think about. White represents purity, yes? Okay. We can't ignore the fact, though, that all three of the other horses 
are based on judgment. All these situations are based on judgment. All four of these horses and riders are judgment. They're all talking about that. We can't ignore the fact of that. Now here's the other fact. If the lamb is in charge, and one of the four beings that we talked about the last couple of weeks, the seraphs, the angels, summons him, the rider and the horse, do you really think an angel is going to summon Jesus? Or do you think Jesus summons the angels? Okay, think about that. But the rider is given a crown. He's on a white horse and he's given a crown. Okay, and he goes off as a conqueror bent on conquest. There's others who think this is the Antichrist. So you have Jesus, you have the Antichrist. Here's another thought for you to just mull over in your mind. What if this rider represents the coming conquest of the Antichrist? What if this horse and rider? Because he's given a bow, but he's not given any arrows. Think. Every commentary I've looked at, save one, talks about the fact that the fact that he has no arrows is pointing to the distinct indication that he conquers with diplomacy and words. If that's a fact, then what does we mean by that? The world's looking for peace when all this stuff starts, right? They don't want all this to take place. If someone comes and offers them peace with simply words and diplomacy, they're going to be very tempted to follow them, right? Have to think about that. We're going to talk about the Antichrist a lot more later on, but this is a distinct possibility. There's an indication that this Antichrist or this conqueror is going to begin to rule the world at the end times. Number two, the second horse. The red horse represents war. War comes upon the world. Everything looks good. It's calming down when the white rider comes in, but now the red horse comes along. Verses 3 and 4, when the lamb opened the second scroll, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given the power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. What is happening around the world? What is happening with Ukraine and Russia? What is happening with Lebanon and Israel? What, what, what's taking place? Are we, are we paying attention? Many of these things have already happened, and many things are already starting to happen. I think we need to pay close attention. There are many wars happening in the end. The third thing is the black horse. The black horse represents famine. Revelations 5 and 6, when the lamb opened up a third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come, I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, 
and three quarts of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. I think that's an interesting statement. And I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. John's hearing all this stuff about food. Have any of you been paying attention to the Mississippi situation? The water level going down. The barges can't get through. What do they say it's causing? Supply distribution problems. And what's getting ready to take place right now? The harvest of all the food. Hmm. I don't know. I just wonder. In that day, one person could work and feed a family of four for two days because they would get basically a day's wages were eight quarts of wheat. But now, what does he say? He said a quart of wheat for a day's wages. What is that? What what does that equate to today? It equates basically and says that now, not only do I need to work for my food, but my wife has to work for her food, and my child has to work for his food or her food. Everybody's got to work, but what if there's enough enough jobs? What if they start running out of food? A famine comes. Then he says at the very end, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Listen, oil and wine in that day were predominantly a realm of affluence, and they were there for the wealthier people in most cases, not every case. But what if it's a different kind of oil today? Maybe it's the same wine, but what if it's a different kind of oil? And... Think about this. What is this showing us? This is showing us that the rich are going to get richer and the poor are going to get poorer and those that aren't able to eat and in famine are going to suffer even more. There's going to be a large disparity between those who have and those who have not. That's the representation. Don't harm the oil and wine, but those that are working are now going to work for one-eighth of what they did in Jesus' day. Some interesting thoughts. And then fourth comes the pale horse, death. The pale horse represents death. Now listen, these these are some hard scriptures to look at, and I understand that. But I want you to understand something. The pale color here, God is giving us representation in symbols and signs and colors also. All these colors, the red horse, the white horse, the black horse, the pale horse. The pale horse color from the Greek word actually means um, a pale green smoky color. And it comes from our root word chloros, or their root word chloros. But it means in our day, chlorine gas Now, when I, when, I, when I researched this a little bit, I found this very interesting because what is he saying? He's saying, you know, death is going to come upon the earth like a mist of chlorine gas and just cover the earth. And what's going to happen? Well, let's read and find out. Seven and eight. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked 
And there before me was a pale horse. His, its rider's name was Death, and Hades was following close behind him. Listen, if we're out of here, these are unbelievers. These are unbelievers here. And death is taking the physical body, and Hades is taking the soul. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, and the wild beast of the earth. Now we already saw the first rider going out conquering, the second rider going out with a sword, the third rider going out with a famine. How many people have died already? We don't know, but quite a few. And then this fourth, now a fourth of the world is gone along with those others. Out of those times, think about this. Everything looks good at the start. Then we have the wars. What's going on right now? Put it together. Starts with a devastating famine because of the wars. And then the next thing out of the gate, because there's not enough food to go around, death comes. And then Hades is falling right behind death. The effects of a quarter of the population are gone. God is showing John his plan is taking place according to his purpose, his timing. Did you know some folks that are procrastinating about accepting Christ as Savior? Do you know some folks that are sitting there thinking, well, I'm going to be fine. It doesn't matter. You know, we're just in this body. There's nothing after death. You better be talking to them. We all better be talking to them. I believe as God brings a close to this earth, that there's going to be billions and billions of people they are going to be suffering because they're not listening. It's going to be impossible in my mind for this to start and for this to come without people realizing once it starts. Why is God's plan like this? What is he doing? He's saying, you know what? This is my last final invitation for you to accept me as your Lord and Savior. This is it. You get no other chances. There's no redos. But you don't have to go through eternity separated from me, and you don't have to live this life that I'm starting to pour out on the world right now. You have another option. Prayerfully, some folks will do that. I hope. I pray. And then fifth. The fifth seal reveals the slain saints of the souls. The slain saints' souls. Revelation 6, 9, and 10 starts to give us a little bit different picture. Not as intense. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar 
the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. Those are two key important factors. The word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge your blood, our blood, rather. Listen, the fifth seals of those martyrs was asking how long. That's a great question because let's think about it. They're under the altar. I'm going to let you decide which altar here in just a second. But they're looking down from heaven's perspective. They're seeing things that happen to them as believers starting to happen on earth. Verse 11 says, then each of them was given a white robe. They're asking the question. God's going to now give them the answer. And they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, important statement, as they had been was completed. What is he saying? In order for them to be killed as they were killed, they first had to accept Christ as Savior and then give testimony about that. He's bringing that to the forefront. So God's plan is about people coming, more people coming to his kingdom. He's choosing to work in the world this way because he's given one last opportunity. But there's still going to be billions who say no. Who are these martyrs under the altar? Well, let's think. They're the ones that lost their lives for giving their testimony for Christ. They were the faithful ones. They were the ones that persevered. They were the ones that stayed true to God, testified about God, and witnessed for God. What altar are they under? Well, let's think about this. Do you remember the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation about the temple, the tabernacle that's here on earth? And remember, it was patterned after the one that's in heaven. Now, there are, there are two altars there. You have to think about this. It's a couple altars this could be. There's an altar of sacrifice, and there's an altar of incense. Now, the altar of sacrifice, I lean more towards this one. And I'll tell you why. Who was on the altar of sacrifice for us? Jesus. It's his blood that was spilled for us. So the picture of this is them being under the altar, protected by the altar, covered by the blood of Christ, and saved by the blood of Christ. I believe this is the altar that, we, that those martyrs are under. But there's a second possibility, and I want to introduce it to you. And that's the altar of incense. But see, this, th there's a Greek word there in that passage, the sacrificial term about being slain on the altar. And it's, it's, it's basically the image of being slaughtered like the lamb. So that's why I think it's that way. However, the altar of incense is where the prayers of the saints were given. Where those prayers of the saints 
were given up to God. So it's a possibility that it might be that way. It's where the prayers of all those people throughout the ages had prayed to God. It's the prayers that we give to God, and he's taking those prayers and holding those in heaven on that altar of incense. So there's two possibilities. You know, there's something about our prayers that is just eternal, and I, and I don't think we always think about them that way, but they are. I don't, I don't know if we fully understand the, the quantity and quality of our prayers that God does, as God does. Listen, these are tough scriptures to look at, and, and they're hard to understand sometimes. But I want us to look at them and go through them and, and obtain as much as we can as far as the visual pictures, the signs, the symbols, and those things that are coming out of this for us to apply to our life and to remember as we're talking to non-believers in our life, no matter who we are and where we stand. Because everybody's circle of influence is a little different. You have different family members, different friends. And I'm planting these seeds for you to go out of here and tell others, listen, um, time may be short. Are you sure you want to wait? Are you sure it's time to wait? Do you have that time? So we're going to stop here today. I'm going to leave you guys with a cliffhanger. Okay? For the rest of them next week. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the blessings you give us. But, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that you would just touch the consciousness of their mind and their heart and draw them closer to you right now. Allow them to have the courage to come tell us that. And, Lord, if there's anyone here that that does not, has made that decision, but has not been baptized in the way we saw these three this morning be baptized. We pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage to step out and make that decision. That is the first major act of obedience that we need to follow. And we thank you for the fact that those three came this morning. And Father, God be willing, we'll have several more in the next couple of weeks. We're talking to them right now. And Lord, if there's anyone here that has been a, an attender in this church and they've just never decided to reach out and become a member, we invite them to do that today. We'd love to have them be a part of this family of believers. Father, this is a great and gracious group of people. And we serve you in so many different ways. And we thank you for the fact that so many different people are willing to serve in so many different ways. But Lord, we ask that you would allow our congregation to grow, this body of believers to grow, not just numerically, but spiritually. We want them to grow in their understanding of your word so that they can be blessed by those understandings. And Father, we just love them and we praise you. 
We lift up these prayers to you this morning. And we pray that as we go out from here today, that we would be willing to share the things of Jesus, share the good news with others. And we simply ask these things and thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can and would, stand please. thank you all for coming this morning and I again I just I want to thank all of you guys that helped so much with last Saturday's or Sunday's uh, uh, picnic and this Saturday's memorial service we 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 can't function without all the people as the praise team was saying earlier you know the tech people the appreciation team all these fabulous people that play instruments it's because you guys are willing to put in so much energy and effort that it all functions and works. So just thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Great job, guys. All right. Let's close let's, it out. Let's sing together. Praise the name of Jesus.
Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.